Welcome back to How to Tickle Yourself, a podcast about the miracle of existence. I am your host, Duff McDonald, along with my co-host, Joey of Rockledge. Hello. In every episode, we and our guests try to seek out and grab hold of the tickle of our true selves. By sharing stories about the great things in life, we hope to point the way to the goal of goals, the source of infinite bliss, the supreme reality itself. Maybe one, maybe we'll find it one day. In the meantime, we hope at the very least to inform and entertain with conversations that hover at ratings approaching 100% at how to tickle yourself. We always win the day. <laughs> Today marks another first for this show. It's the first time we've ever had the sibling of a previous guest as a guest. We set new records all the time at How to Tickle Yourself, and we're doing it again right now. Suzanne Langlois is a Canadian artist based in Kingston, Ontario. She is sister to Paul Langlois, the musician who we've recently had on the show. She's also a friend of the family, married to our old friend Mike Preston, a.k.a. The Big Salam. Sue has been painting for over 20 years and currently works in three distinct styles, abstract, still life botanicals, and contemporary landscape featuring wind turbines. We have two of that last type in this very house. Anyone listening right now, I encourage you to go check out her website before you continue so you can like know what we're talking about. You can find her at www.suzanne.com. SuzanneLangwa.com. Going back a little in time in college, Sue and a good friend of hers started a small clothing design business. This is before she was a painter. After graduation, they relocated to Toronto and their brand, Ezaware, was a fixture in the grassroots fashion scene in Toronto for 10 years. It was also a fixture in my closet during that time. <laughs> Whenever I, the, at the moment, the US, during that time, the US dollar was very strong vis-a-vis -vis the Canadian dollar. So every time I went back to Toronto, I would quite literally load up on almost everything as aware had to offer. Pants, shirts, sweaters, the works. It would not be a stretch to say that Sue Langlois dressed me for much of the 90s. <laughs> that is why I always looked so good. We love Sue here at Rockledge, and we're thrilled to have her on the show to talk painting, wind turbines, good clothes, what it's like to live in the other Kingston, and where she sources the best tickles in her life. Welcome to the show, Sue. It's great to see you. Thank you. So great to see you, too. <laughs> nice intro. I appreciate it. present moment traveling town to town the mystery of the motion right here right now right here right now whoa right here right now So we're looking, anyone who's looking on YouTube here, uh, I, we got to just get to the obvious question. I'm not sure I've ever even asked this to you. Why wind turbines? 
of all the of all the things that one would could return to what happened how that happened oh you don't know we haven't talked about this before <laughs> so i uh, in the time that you talked about when i lived in toronto um well when i grew up here we face out to wolf island across lake ontario in kingston or on the shores north shore of lake ontario and it was always just an island with farmland on it and when i moved back here with mike and my family in 2007 it was right when they were completing a winter uh, wind farm with about 85 wind turbines so it really changed the landscape and um it's beautiful uh we kind of missed the whole like any kind of turmoil around whether or not it was going up and how people were reacting to it and we just got here and it was the construction was nearing completion and a couple of years in i just it was kind of like a light bulb i was like why isn't anyone painting this and i wasn't i had never painted landscape but i was working on abstracts at the time and i think i just thought it would be amazing like to have the idea of a landscape with a horizon line and then rather than trees and all these things that i've never really painted before it could, it's just so graphic and i thought wow that could be you know really make abstract well it changes it from abstract because suddenly there would be a real focal point that would be representational but uh I, it just made sense to me like line and lines and it gives a framework for the for the painting but then I also just really thought, wow, how come no one is painting this when it's where we live? And um, not that no one was, but I wasn't seeing it in galleries. There wasn't anyone local that I knew of that was doing it. So I thought, well, we better do this quickly. And still I find people aren't really painting it, but I do find that um, people respond to it. So you've got the it's franchise. Beautiful. You've got the wind turbine franchise. <laughs> kind <Texas>. of. <laughs> I do think, uh, at least around here, people associate me with wind turbines. I can I can say that. <laughs> so how when did you I end up painting? Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> had <laughs> painting in general. Yeah. Painting um, from clothing. How did you and go from one to the other, or were they overlapped? Or they did overlap. Happened? I. I always did it on the side. I mean, I always enjoyed drawing and being creative. And I just kind of took that for granted, like in high school. And but I was never really encouraged um, to go into that career. Uh, you know, I would fill out the surveys or whatever at school, whatever the, the aptitude tests and all those things. And I usually I had good marks in math. So it would always be something business like, oh, well, and actually would say you can be a fashion designer because that was like a creative business and or an accountant. You should be an accountant. <laughs> I know. Oh, my gosh. I first went into commerce at school and I was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> so that actually happened then when I was at university and then I switched into arts, just general arts because they they didn't have fine arts at McGill. But I started just looking for electives that were um, creative and more, you know, anything like there was stuff in the education department where I could do actual studio classes. So I did a painting class there where we learned how to stretch our own canvas. And it was like a, you know, a three hour class a couple of times a week. And I loved it. So I did continue doing that on the side and never really thought it would be a career. And then when we had the clothing business, it was super busy. I mean, we were doing everything. It was a very ambitious enterprise. And um, 
So I didn't have a lot of time, but I would try to do it. Like occasionally I would have a, a show and just try to keep that little side of myself active and a distraction from, from the business. So I started then. What happened? I don't, I don't remember this either. What, what, what um, catalyzed the transition from, from fashion to actual painting as, uh, you know, a full-time endeavor? Right. Well, um, as much as we loved as a, it was, it was very demanding and we sort of, we got to a point where we kind of needed like a real fork in the road. And we were thinking about having kids. Like my business partner had a life partner and I was with Mike and we were all thinking about having kids and we hadn't really set it up to the point where we could, um, you know, have a proper management staff in place and and step back you know we were really hands-on and even selling it seemed difficult because we were so attached to the brand we were doing the designing you know we just hadn't made that leap to be able to walk away and then Aaron um, my partner got uh, her husband had a fellowship in San Francisco as a doctor and they were going to be gone for two years and it was sort of like okay well are we going to be able to make this work and so it was kind of a big decision where we just decided to close shop and um and then mike and i shortly after moved to kingston and then it made sense by that point i was showing and you know and did, did you see did you see painting like was painting just sitting there as okay this is next or did it yeah, yeah it was yeah. Yeah. So it's always been sort of you said i read somewhere that you said it was very meditative and very grounding for you so it's always yeah yeah, yeah always for sure uh, and I used to do a lot more of the still life, like sort of that was what I always did before the, you know, the, the abstract phase I was talking about. And um, yeah, I just, I mean, I don't know that I ever thought I was great or anything like that, but I just, I knew that I enjoyed it and that I could keep doing it. I had uh, yet another oversight on my part. I hadn't really appreciated the abstract part of your um, stuff until looking just today. I love that stuff. Mm. Is that, <laughs> I feel like I've never really known about it. Oh, is that just my, is that just my fault? <laughs> no, no. I mean, we don't live in the same country, first of all. <laughs> um, it's a little harder to mount, like I haven't done as many shows, you know, exhibitions of abstract. It doesn't, really um i mean i'll submit it to i've done it in group shows and stuff like that but you know it's kind of its own thing and i like to paint big with the abstract so if i'm going to do a show that's just that it really takes quite a lot to mount it um and uh i don't find it translates as well into digital like that's i'm glad you had that reaction because i guess you were looking at the website or social mm -hmm. media or something but yeah, I I find it a lot more difficult to photograph or to have someone photograph and have me look at it and say that's what it looks like. Hmm. That no. might be it. No, I can't. Yeah, I love them. And Thank I'm, you. How do, I have a question. How do you um, how do you decide what you're going to name? Like, especially with the abstract, how do you decide what you're going to name them? Do you think of a name and then work from that, or do you? Uh, I I don't usually work from it. Sometimes it comes to me during the process. I mean, this is a question that could have a long answer, <laughs> but with the, with the still lifes, I've always just pretty much just named it after the flowers. So it's like orchid or something, or if I do a different color background, it's just like blue with orchid or something like that. That's been pretty standard. Um, 
And then with the wind turbines, I've often named them after songs. So wow. that's fun. There's a tangled <laughs> up in blue and, you know, nice. I try to be a bit, <laughs> um, I don't know. I've never looked into what the copyright is or anything, you know, so I, I, any that I'm going to do a lot of posting, I, I try not to, you know, be too, um, overt, but I do, or I'll have a lyric or something like that. Or, you know, so I, it, sometimes it's tough, especially there are oftentimes when something's about to go out the door and I have to sign the back and I realize I haven't titled it and then I can't come up with anything that I'm, <laughs> but the abstracts come, the titles come to me in a different way. Like it's, it's been a real, I think it's a, just a much more intuitive process. And when I first started doing them, the first one that I did that I was really happy with and kind of was like, wow, this is a finished abstract painting. I called it belief and it was like a real, you know, belief in myself and belief in the process. And I kind of, I did a few after that and they just followed that um, theme. Like one was trust. And I would, I would also write it into the painting somewhere, mm. you know, maybe not too obvious, but I would put it in. And sometimes there's words, sometimes there's just different marks. And, um, you know, it, I feel like it sounds a little hokey when I say it, but it was really um, meaningful. And like, it was just, that was exactly what was happening. And I, and I find that fun. And it's always really easy for me to, like, there's something that comes through while I'm painting it. Hmm. sometimes there's crossover like i have one over here i'm just thinking about and it's called light my way and i think i literally was listening to you too but it also <laughs> fit in with the other ones like it was kind of that a bit of more of a calling you know anyway that's i was listening when i when i wrote my first book a biography of jamie diamond i spent it listening to taylor swift's first album thank god i didn't have that same inclination at the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh there could be some good ones i just saw the movie on the weekend oh marguerite's, uh, Marguerite, marguerite's yeah. pounding the table for that yeah 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 so, tickets, but... so what yeah. about um uh i saw something on your site and also in one of the bios we looked at where you talk about the connection to the the fact that the art gives you connections to people Right. As a very important part of the process. And it made mm -hmm. me remember back in the in the drawn onward days, uh, a lot of those guys used to be really stressed about an impending show. Right. <laughs> and I would yeah. think, why are you so stressed? You're about to have a party for yourself. Um, <laughs> when you have a when you have a show opening, what what are you feeling? like that day when you're going in, are you nervous? Are you excited? Are you? Yeah, I don't get nervous about that. I mean, it's pretty easy. I find it really easy to talk about my work. I find a lot of things I'm really last minute about, but I think when I'm doing a show, I, I feel like if I think back, I'm, I'm never really, really scrambling like somewhat, but not like it was for fashion shows where we were like sewing at midnight. Like, <laughs> so I feel like I'm, I'm prepared and, uh, I don't know. I really enjoy it. Like people are there to, and it's different from entertaining. Like I'm kind of, I'm at that point, I'm usually ready to put myself out there. I usually have a crisis of faith 
before, like maybe a month before, everything sucks. <laughs> and now I know how to get through that a little better. How do you do that? <laughs> how do I do that? Oh God, Mike. I think we all have we all have a minute where you're like, God, everything just sucks. You know, everyone's oh, got that in their life. Terrible. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's good to hear. It's good to connect with people over that because when you're in it and when I'm in it, it's dark. I mean, I really am convinced that everything is terrible and I'm never, never going to do it again. And, you know, and Mike will be like, what, you know, what are you talking about? It's going to be fine. And it doesn't, it doesn't go in. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, uh, so Jeff and I were talking I about just observing you. that <laughs> when it yeah. happened, like, cause I was kind of that way yesterday. It's like every, I was grumpy about everything and it didn't, it was me. It was just like, it wasn't everything. And it was just like, it just kind of settles down on you sometimes yeah. and that, you know, once you can observe it and recognize it, that this is, uh, we were talking about the gunas and the different um, uh, sort of, uh, how do you describe well, them, Def? Well, the yogis will basically just tell you if you can objectify a feeling and look at it, it's not you. Right. Right. It's, so if yeah. you can see that it's happening to you again, who's so doing the space? Who's doing yeah. the scene? You. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So you could just look at it and say, oh, Christ, you again, which isn't the you. It's not the eyes. Yeah. It's, it's 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 the me. Right. Yeah. And, the, and it just needs to be told to, you know, not you're you're no longer welcome here. Well, it just yeah, sort of loses yeah. its power once you can kind of witness something and watch it rather than identifying with it. You know, when it's like when you can see it for what it is, that it's just kind of a, a passing cloud kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it loses its ability to grab hold of you so much. It's so, so I a, true. I got a question. You are yeah. uh, from an artistic family, at least two of you. I don't know your other siblings. Um, mm -hmm. Is there something that your parents did that um, you have done or have tried to emulate to keep a creative uh, orientation in your kids? Hmm. A very less safe. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, and, and I don't even know if that's by choice. I just recognize that I kind of grew up with that. And, um, and that I feel we the also exact have the same way. I feel the same really? way. Really? Yeah. And interesting. And you do have a creative family. Right. It's, um, yeah. it's, uh, that they, they basically encouraged us to do our best. And left it at that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like they didn't have expectations, but that, that that's a good way of putting it. And, um, you know, they uh, so much just landed on us like, well, are you, if you're not happy with this, like do something else. And, I mean, my parents both did go to Queens and they like I, my dad was like he was a phys ed teacher. So he, he was a bit more like he was just so nostalgic about his experience of going away and making friends and everything. So in that way, I think he really wanted us to have that kind of experience. But um, yeah, they're both very creative in their own ways. And and uh, I think just kind of let us find our way. Mm. We'll see what happens with my kids. They are both both <laughs> very creative. But, you know, it's different too. like this is a whole can of worms. But that whole um, lack of boredom, you know, like what do they gravitate towards first? And looking at like the pandemic or whatever, I mean, 
I think our kids had to get to the point where they were so bored that they were bored of social media and everything and movies and everything that they finally had to like sketch or something. But it, <laughs> it, it just must have taken like way, way longer than it ever Right, that was like summer for us in the 70s like we you know it's like there's only so much tv we could watch and then we'd yeah. just be bored to tears i think it's yeah. good for you i think yeah it, you need a little of that marguerite yeah. and caroline just went riding every day yeah oh, literally <laughs> every day like Marguerite's yeah. artistic too though she's got that that side of her like she likes to paint a bit and she's curious about it and yeah yeah she's pretty well-rounded kid so you're in, you're in, uh, we're in Kingston. We live just outside Kingston, New York, and mm-hmm. you're in, you're in Kingston, Canada. So when I was going up to the cottage a few years ago, I meant to get uh, t-shirts for my nieces and nephews at the, like the New York store at the border. I was going to get them some, I love New York stuff. Yeah, And it turned out the way we went, they didn't have the store. I was like, wait, I thought they had these <laughs> at all the border crossings. So I had, I bought kink store t-shirts from Kingston, Ontario and pretended they were from Kingston, New York. <laughs> um, That's great. Do you know, are you aware of which is the better Kingston? You- <laughs> no, but I've called a few businesses in your, your town by accident. <laughs> <laughs> No, I should. That's a really good reason to finally get there is to, uh, to right? really do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> big, big brother, little brother, big brother, little sister. Like, or maybe we could say, which is the male Kingston and which is the female Kingston? Yeah. I mean, do you have an opinion? You have more experience with both. Joey? Yeah. I, I don't think I've been to Kingston. Ontario. Oh, no. Have I? Yeah, no. Gotta I've get been you tr- here. I've been Kingston, kind of New York is it. the male. Kingston, Canada is the female. There you okay. go. Right. But so um, they could work together as a symbiotic whole. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Well, they could be. There could be some partnerships there for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two, what are the things, um, or wait, before we get to the tickles, you are mm-hmm. sitting in a studio that I believe was designed and built uh, by you and your husband. Is that, are you, are you in the upstairs or de- where is that? It's downstairs or upstairs? I'm in the downstairs. So this is like our main open area. And yes, I can't take that much credit. It was really Mike. Mike designed it. I mean, I had input. But uh, when it was being able to sort of design and create your own studio, did that change uh, uh, the creative process at all? Did it make it easier? Make it harder? Um, I don't think either i mean it probably changed it i feel more obligated to get into that studio now (laughs) 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 michael come upstairs every once in a while and come in my studio and say oh my god why did i give you this room and i'm downstairs (laughs) (laughs) so i try and keep him out (laughs) Um, all right yeah but we just love it. Like, I mean, I really appreciate it every day. It makes me appreciate the, you know, form and function on a whole new level for sure. Okay. So our thing, our thing we've decided to start asking guests recently is what are the things that are tickling you right now? So we want two of them and (laughs) they can be about anything. They don't have to be about your art. It can be about anything you want, but two of the things in your life that um, make you happy to be alive right now. 
Jeez, that's so tough. <laughs> it's not. It's not really. Just, just, I mean, I hope it's not. <laughs> um, good. A good okay. book. A good walk. A good anything. Anything yeah. at all. What? What's something that that lit you up? Um. Okay. So. It's funny. It's good that you give two because I was thinking, uh, you know, well, I was interested to hear what my what my brother answered. I do because, <laughs> and then so what I was what I was thinking about was that I read this thing by uh, Ron McLean. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you know who that is, Joey, but he's like sportscaster here. He's a Canadian sportscasting legend, kind of yeah, like okay. uh, Howard Cosell, but okay. not, as, not as crazy. <laughs> But that level of fame. Yeah. All right. Okay. And he did a thing in the Globe and Mail a couple of weeks ago. They're doing a thing now that's like a Proust questionnaire, but for Mm -hmm. sports figures. And oh my gosh, every single question he answered, he was quoting someone. I was like, how do you remember all this? I'm terrible. But now I remember one thing, which is what Ron McLean was saying. And he quoted David Byrne saying, do I have to choose just one? Like, can't I like, you know, being on the beach and whatever the other thing was. Um, so when when you asked my brother that and he answered some about being with friends and all that, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's me, too. Like, I really do prioritize, especially because so many of my old friends live in Toronto. So we spend a lot of time and energy getting out to visit our friends. We made a lot of friends here and my whole family's here. But, you know, on the flip side, like more and more, I realize I need my alone time. So the walking, we have a dog now and I don't always want to go for that walk, but it's very grounding for me. And if I am having trouble getting into the studio, you know, it's just nice to have that routine. I mean, we're kind of all over the map, but every day that has to happen. And so that's a really good thing. Um, but yeah, the work, I mean, the great thing about my work and why I love it, like I am one of those people, one of those artists who, you know, I like to just go and show up and I say that and it's ironic because I really do have a hard time getting in there. But, um, when I do, I, I doesn't matter what I do. Like I could cleaning up or sketching or just painting edges or putting wires on the backs of things or getting into new work and everything. And, um, I always love it like there's I don't think there's any part of it that I dislike so you know that's a real anchor I would say what uh you got any shows coming up or you got a show any any stuff hanging now in public anywhere yeah I have this one that's fun um in Napanee which is a smaller town like um west of Kingston and they asked I, I work with a women's art group here I volunteer with them and I'm on the board and I'm a member and um they the museum asked people like for a small group of artists to respond to the theme of nocturne and the nighttime so I started doing did you see these at all these no are they wind from- are they windmills or wind turbines at night Yes, but with <laughs> I put twinkle lights in the painting. Oh, that's amazing. So I just I I essentially just poked holes in the canvas and put twinkle lights behind awesome. it. So now it's either remote control or it can be on a timer, and it's a nighttime scene with the lights on because they're lit up at night. I don't know if you know that from seeing no, wind farms, no. but they light at night and it flashes. 
And uh, so it's, I think they look really cool. Like if you have sort of a dimly lit room or whatever, like it's kind of like a nightlight or it's hanging in a dark hallway and then you've got twinkle lights on. So that's been fun because it, it's also been a bit of a logistical nightmare just <laughs> working with a museum and, and having all this this many people showing together. It's funny that there are so many details that need to be taken care of, but it pushed me to just do this thing, which I mean, I just really wouldn't have done because I just thought it was such a simple idea, but it's been really fun. Are those on your website? They're not on the website because I haven't figured out how to make them sellable because it's a bit rudimentary. Like, I feel like as soon as you poke a hole in the canvas, it's not really worth as much. And <laughs> it's just a battery pack behind it right now. So I have to decide, you know, does, is this something that is going to last hundreds of years or, you know. So at the museum, it's good because the work's not for sale. It's kind of an installation. Uh, but yeah, but they are on my on my Instagram. Okay. Ah, okay. And what we'll is your Instagram? Just so we can tell people. Uh, Suzanne Langua Art. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. We'll put it. We'll 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 set a price for you. We'll bid low. We'll we'll <laughs> we'll set the we'll, we'll set the the minimum bid and we'll go from there. Okay. <laughs> Listeners, we'll generate some interest anyway. <laughs> Listeners, uh, Suzanne Langlois, beautiful person, beautiful art. Her website again is Suzanne Langlois Art. No, SuzanneLanglois.com. S-U-S-A-N-N-E-L-A-N-G-L-O-I-S. You just heard her Instagram, Suzanne Langlois Art. She's in Kingston, Ontario, where she shows quite frequently, right, in the region. And um, uh, check her stuff out. And uh, what? Is that it? Yeah. I think so. Check it out. Thank it's you. beautiful art. <laughs> we have it. We've thank got you. We've bought our art for this house. We love it. And um thank you <laughs> for great. being thank you for being our first sibling guest. Oh uh, my gosh. Because we like to set records and <laughs> we're pretty sure that's one. Yep. <laughs> thank, thank you, you so much. Sue. Now I, right. I want to ask you guys a whole bunch of questions, but we'll do that another time. <laughs> Cheers. All right. Thanks, Sue. So that's Sue Langlois, who, um, just for context, uh, is married to one of my oldest friends in the world, Mike Preston. Uh, his parents and my parents were thick as thieves. And I basically spent uh, the majority of my childhood uh, hanging out with the Prestons on and off in summers and holidays and everything. And so um, I know him as well as I know, you know, uh, p people that, you know, for a length of time. And, and when when they got married, it was a thrill. They had a great they had a destination wedding in the Caribbean, Costa Rica. Costa Rica, uh, I think you said. It was like a week-long wedding with a, a open bar and like four gourmet restaurants that you could order from at any time of the day. It was it was the best wedding I've ever been to for an extended um for the extended entertainment. It was outstanding. So. So, um so do you have one for me today? Do you have a I got one for you? I do. And it's not a, um, 
this is not a classic. Uh, Matt McButter would probably reject it on its face uh, if he's listening. Are you listening, Matt? <laughs> um, so I was speaking to someone the other day about uh, in Tickled, uh, I introduce this idea called the precision paradox. And uh, the gist of it is simple. As we become increasingly quantified as a society, right? We count everything. Um, and the more that we aim for precision, we try to precisely count things, um, the farther away we get from meaning, the more we aim for precision. Um, and we count things when we don't understand them. So we think that precision can step in in place of meaning. So I was telling someone about this last week. I think it and was I me. Said, no, no, it was I was okay. in a meeting with someone and I said, um, you know, we count things that we don't understand. And she said straight up, she goes, right. We count our fears, not our joys. Right. And I think we do that. We do it just because like, it's a, that sort of uh, the uncertainty of it all, right? Like you're trying to, the thing that you're scared of, you want to make it, you want to pull it down so that it's something manageable so that you're, it's not the unknown. It's not the thing that you have to be scared of. If you can quantify it in some way, it makes it less scary because you think you have an understanding of it. You, you know? must have read this book, Tickled, where we discuss that, <laughs> where we say that um, it gives the illusion of certainty. Mm -hmm. Counting gives the illusion of certainty. But the other reason for that is the flip side, which is that the best things in life are, are joys. They actually defy quantification. Mm -hmm. you, you cannot count love. You cannot count beauty. You cannot count kindness. You cannot count excitement. You cannot count truth. We try to, in silly and stupid ways, to... to um, to quantify and rank uh, beautiful things. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you got your any sense, you realize that we can't, we can't count our joys. So we count yeah. our fears, not our joys. So if you find yourself, um, you know, distracted by uh, some kind of quantification exercise gone wild, re realize that it's probably just a distraction and, and a fear at its root and turn your attention back to the miracle of your own existence, which is what we do here at How to Took Yourself. Does uh, loving more, if you love more, is that quantifying love in some way? I think more, it's not, more right? is yeah. um, more. Uh, more or less is not, um, I don't consider those quantification, I consider those directional, right? So you can feel something increasing without needing to count it. Right. You can feel an increase in excitement. We can't actually point to that increase and say, look, it's up 10 percent, but you can kind of feel it. So there's nothing wrong with that. All right. Just love checking. more. Love more. Yeah, if I mean, you want to go okay. ahead. All right. I'll try. All right. So uh, to close this out, we don't have Oribindo because I can't stop reading this guy, Swami Abedananda. But um, in. 2020 or so, uh, Jogi of Rockledge coined uh, a term <laughs> called the tickle ripple. And the, the point of it was, if you 
can learn how to tickle yourself, you can tickle other people. Tickles, uh, you know, fan out in waves. But mm -hmm. first you have to, um, to feel the tickle of existence. Because if you're not feeling it, you're not going to pass it on, right? If you're in a rage, you're not going to tickle someone. It was uh, listening to Bob Osborne when he finally, uh, we interviewed him years ago, like in the uh, maybe first season, but he was talking when he came to teaching and he'd found the thing that really lights his soul on fire. It affected so many people. I was like, oh, it's a tickle ripple. It is. All right. Okay. So I found a quote in this book. Uh, Bhagavad Gita, the divine message, which while he doesn't use the word tickle, he might as well have. He is describing the tickle ripple. And it goes like this. If we wish to be the highest yogi, we must first learn what is best for our souls. Find that out. We must first know our own souls and what is helpful to the knowledge of our own souls and what brings peace in our souls. Having found that peace and happiness, we should go to the world and give it to the people at large. Otherwise, we have no right to give anything in to the world because we ourselves are beggars. Amen. <laughs> Do you have a copy of that book? Can you hold it up? I'm going to just see it. Bhagavad right. Gita, The Divine Message by Swami Abedananda. This is from volume one, that quote. I'm in the midst of volume two right now. Thank you for listening. Listeners, we hope we tickled you. We'll be back with you in a week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to How to Tickle Yourself with your host, Duff McDonald, and me, Joey of Rockledge. You can help us by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with others. You can talk to us and see what else is happening on Instagram and Facebook at How to Tickle Yourself. This program was recorded in Studio B of the historic Rockledge Recording Studio. Right here, right now, our original 16-part theme music was written and recorded by the legendary Paul Reddick and Kyle Ferguson of The Sidemen, with Steve Mariner on bass and drums and in the mixing room. This podcast is produced and distributed by Storic Media. Our editor is Oscar Desiderio. Our producers are Kristen Verbitsky and Chuck LaBella. For more information, visit storicmedia.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-C media.com.